Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. Hey, it feels like we're doing this early. It's Tuesday, August 16th at 6.23 p.m. in Cal, IA. I am getting up uh, less than 12 hours from now, 5 a.m. The alarm is set. Try and tip out the door uh, by 5.15, 5.30 or so. Start the approximate two-hour-ish drive down to the circuit known as WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca, where I will be busy from Wednesday through Saturday, late Saturday, covering the Rolex Monterey Motorsports Reunion. I was just texting with a pal. I will see there tomorrow morning by the name of Dario Franchitti, who is skipping the, I mean, I, I sure wish I could be there. Truly, I do. But uh, he as well will not be at Worldwide Technology Raceway, also known as Gateway, this weekend for round 15 of the NTT IndyCar Series. He'll be driving one of Gordon Murray's first ever race car designs. And I cannot wait to get uh, an in-car camera or two on that prototype and a high-quality audio recorder and do some fun stuff there. Uh, doing a bunch of in-car video with a variety of friends, whether it's their Formula Atlantic cars, vintage Formula One, a uh, lot of sports cars and whatnot. So this year, the honoree is Le Mans, the 100th edition of the 24 Hours of Le Mans coming up next year. So <sighs> as a person who has always loved vintage racing, who's also a little bit sad and depressed sometimes when he realizes that the cars that I might've worked on back in the day as a mechanic or the cars that I covered when I moved into this new role as a reporter are now deemed as vintage. That's a little bit depressing. It's kind of cool seeing some of these machines like, Hey, yeah, I remember that. Like the, uh, the Delta wing will be there. The original, Lamar spec 2012 Delta wing will be there. Uh, I haven't seen that specific vehicle since 2012 at Lamar, um, was under NDA while that was being built and got to be behind the scenes a little bit and yada, 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 but haven't seen the actual hot rod itself in person for, uh, what'll be a little over a decade. So stoked about that and, uh, all kinds of other good stuff. Uh, we will be trying to, to knock out, going to do as many kind of vehicular walk-arounds and, hey, let me show you this car that's cool, uh, whatever it might be, tell you a little bit of its history if I can, uh, and just do a bunch of those. I'll post some of those on my Twitter feed, some of those on my YouTube feed, and a whole bunch on Racer's YouTube feed. So that's what I have coming up here for basically the rest of the week. Spent about a half hour on the phone this morning with our man Alex Pillow. Have not had an in-depth conversation with Alex, truly in-depth, since June, early June, something like that. Been on a bit of a lockdown since then, but <clears throat> was happy to hear that he was open to speak about at least the stuff that he could. So if you haven't had a chance, you might check that out. It was a uh, catching up with episode that I posted this morning. And what else can I tell you? Working on a feature for the next issue of Racer Magazine. And let's see, folks that I have interviewed for that, 
uh, would be race car designer David Bruns, uh, team principal Brian Lyles, uh, Christian Fittipaldi, and then today I finally got a hold of Michael Andretti. So can't wait to get that feature in motion, a late 90s cart IndyCar series feature right up my alley. So those have been the main things that I've been working on. Uh, mentioned last week, have a, a cool new opportunity that has come my way. Uh, still just waiting to get all of that kind of signed off on and in the pipeline. But when I do have that uh, done, I'll be happy to tell you because it's been a pretty cool thing so far. So other than that, uh, I got a bunch of questions here put together by our friend Jerry, the Jerry Sudduth, uh, taking your finest submissions compiling them for what is roughly 50-ish minutes to an hour worth of a conversation each week in our listener Q&A show, all brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and torontomotorsports.com. So why don't we do a little bit of a music bed here, get rolling with your Q&A. I still have to go pack both uh, the luggage and clothes part and my computer bag with all that stuff. I have a cart uh, positioned by the front door that has a big pelican case with my traveling podcasting setup stacked on top of that is my traveling gopro and audio setup and on top of that i have my camera bag and what else i don't know some other thing that weighs a lot um uh, a new tackle box that i put together with all the cable ties and sticky pads for the GoPros and everything I need to do installations um, throughout the paddock. So it's just a dumb amount of things required to go and do this each year, but I love it. So I'm not complaining at all. I am truly a super fortunate guy. So why don't we kick off with Caleb Whistler? How you doing, Caleb? He says, with just a handful of races left this year, and in line with the defy everything marketing slogan from IndyCar, what have we defied? And uh, what could be defied in the closing stretch? Uh, oh, man, I want to pop off here. Um, Caleb, uh, logic, sanity, uh, just kindness, uh, treating one another with respect. Uh, we've defied a lot of things, mostly on the legal side. But, yeah. Um, here's the here's the thing <laughs> about defy everything. Uh, we've spoke, I've spoken about this before ad nauseum. I, I don't have a need to rehash all of that other than to say, yes, it's still a wickedly dumb, meaningless thing, but defy everything. It, it would suggest that there's something that IndyCar is doing that's different than the norm as if that wasn't already the norm, Right. Usually when something different happens, that would be the point to call that out. Say, oh, hey, we're defying everything. And boy, th this has gone in a different direction than what you're going to find anywhere else. But what happens when it's already been that way and been that way for a while <laughs> uh, before the, the campaign was devised and otherwise? So I don't know. Um, I mean, bless them. They're, they're trying, I guess. I don't know. Uh, they're trying. But this one was a turd in the punch bowl from the moment it arrived. 
they decided they didn't get enough out of it or thought they could get more out of it. So they've trotted out the same marketing slogan now for two years in a row. Nobody on the outside teams and drivers and you name it that I speak with fully grasp what it's meant to be or do. But yeah. Uh, so to your question, Caleb, I don't really know what it is. Nobody seems to know what it is or what purpose it serves. So therefore figuring out what's been defied that falls in line with this concept. I don't know. Um, how about we just defy marketing slogans? Would that be a win? I think it would. Uh, let's see. Ed George, you got a question about who's going to take engine penalties at gateway. I got to admit, brother, it's a great question. No argument about that. My brain is by no means in a place to run through who did what and where and what might be coming up for engine penalties. So uh, probably someone with more uh, mental bandwidth than I will hopefully uh, get that answered here. Um, Lance Snyder, you ask a similar question here. Uh, you know, if I was better at my job, is this a job or is this just something that I do for fun and y'all tune in? not totally sure why don't i just do this let me go and pull open some tabby tabs and see if i can get an answer to this somewhat quickly here what are we doing we're going to indycar we're going to 2022 uh points reports so this is a little something that's not available for public view <laughs> uh, let's go to indycar points engine and see if they have who and what they have tabulated. Uh, all righty. So on the Chevy side, uh, and I've got both here. So um, the way the structure works, annual engine lease, a little over a million dollars a piece, uh, whether it's Chevy or Honda, that comes with four 2.2 liter twin turbo V6 engines meant to run for a total of 10,000 miles. Doesn't mean you have to split all of them at 2,500 miles equally, but that's the goal. And if you go beyond that, that's when you start to uh, incur grid penalties. The grid penalty is different from ovals to road and street courses. I don't remember exactly what it is off the top of my head, but uh, looking at engine counts, New Garden is at four engines. Scott McLaughlin's at four. Uh, let's see. I am drawing a total blank and my brain is seriously not my friend right now. Uh, I'm just going to leave this in. I refer to the show as my unpolished turd. There's a reason for it. Uh, I apologize for not being better, but it is what it is. Uh, hashtag Juan Montoya. Uh, Dalton Kellett is at four. Uh, Pato Ward is at four. Uh, Felix Rosenquist is at four. Uh, Will Powers at four. Kyle Kirkwood's at four. Um, Renus VK. Uh, no, I apologize. That would be... Connor Daly is at four. Uh, who else? Yeah, and so the only... Uh, engine number package that has gone over is uh also from the ed carpenter racing camp the 33 used by ed um which is interesting so 
I guess I lost track of that one a little bit. Uh, but yeah, so in the Chevy side, uh, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, eight that are at, uh, that are on their fourth engine right now. Uh, yeah, so anybody that happens to need to go to a fifth would the indeed start to incur penalties. On the Honda side, uh, Elio Castro Neves is already over the limit. He's at five, so any further changes, he gets dinged. Colton Herta uh, is at five, so any additional, he gets dinged. And as for those who are at four, Marcus Erickson, Scott Dixon, Alex Pillow, Graham Rahal, uh, David Malukas, Alejandro Rossi, Romain Grossjean, uh, Devlin Dan, D- Dan Fresco, uh, let's see, Christian Lungard, congratulations on your new contract. Nice little chat with Bobby Ray Hall today, just to catch up, been a little while. Uh, all the RLL cars, so Jack Harvey as well, Jimmy Johnson, uh, Takuma Sato, and Simon Paginot. So, let me just take a quick little run through here. Uh, yes, every single full-time Honda uh, is either on their fourth. The va- Pretty much everybody's on their fourth, uh, with the exception of two that are on their fifth. So every, yeah, any engine change at this point for a Honda power driver, penalty. Over on the Chevy side, and kudos to them, uh, they have one, two, three, four. Yeah, they got a handful that are uh, uh, not in any danger uh, unless things go super sideways unexpectedly. So uh, there you go. Sorry uh, I didn't have all that committed to my brain up front, but hey, uh, two questions in a row on that topic, especially when our Minister of Mirth, Lance Snyder, weighs in. And hey, we got to... uh, got to answer that uh, our pal mitsuki matsura says marshall last year Romain Groshaw was kind of the star of the show at gateway he was really picked up on that uh, he says who will take over that role this weekend or can he Romain, steal the show again i feel like the uh the kid who i've really enjoyed doing end of day videos with that being david malukas just feels like the momentum he's been on how about another strong drive, kind of sort of a, a breakout weekend here? He's already had one or two of those, but why do I feel like he's going to do something? Um, count that kid in. So that's my call here, Mitsuki. Uh, Maddie McDonald. Maddie, how you doing? Uh, MP, much love to you, Shabrell, and the furry ones. Well, they abandoned me for uh, tonight's recording, Maddie, but uh, I'll share that with them. Uh, you say... Can you shed any light on how the Dale Coin team has managed to maintain their high level of engineering achievement this year, despite the departure of Olivier Boisson? You mentioned the coin cars haven't always had the best finishes, but they have consistently had pace. So Ross Bonnell, who uh, is just widely credited as being a young Gene E.S., uh, Ross has taken over the, uh, the leadership role there on the engineering side, despite being young and at least by years, relatively inexperienced in that kind of race engineer, uh, overall engineering leader type role. But everybody I speak to within the team, whether it's Takuma, 
uh, on the driving side to Terry Brown, the team manager, they all hail Ross as just like, wow, this kid's, uh, this kid's next level. Um, we'll mention as well, and this is not to take anything away, obviously, from Ross, but Olivier did work for the team, did also look after the dampers for the team, very good engineer who came up with good setups as well. It's not like those disappeared with him. So it's pretty rare year to year for a team to just straight up bolt on what they used last year at a track with no modifications to it, right? Cars evolve somehow, whether it's a different tire or whether it's just different things the team have come up with, with their uh, chassis evolution, Maddie. So you still, though, would have a pretty darn good baseline if you uh, wanted to refer to that from whatever Olivier and Romain used last year. If you could look to the year before with uh, Alex Pelot, some pretty good stuff there. When Santino was there, some pretty good stuff there. Um, Bourdais, it's a lot of good information there. And when you take someone uh, like Ross, also Don Brooker, who's looking after Takuma this year, they've actually, you know, they've had some pretty good races uh, as well. Olivier's crazy smart, crazy talented. No one will argue that. What has been among the great uh, kind of behind-the-scenes type stories is in the absence of a true proven veteran uh, like Olivier, you have seen Ross step up and really become a not just stronger in his role as a race engineer, but also uh, strong in a team leadership role. So to your point, yeah, uh, you know, consistency is always the thing uh, when it comes to race results weekend to weekend that some of the smaller teams struggle with. You mentioned the cars often, you know, very regularly have pace. Don't necessarily always have that pace on race day. So, like I said, kind of the domain of the smaller teams that uh, aren't able to be as fast from race to race, year to year, you name it. But this is one that does impress me mightily. So, uh, good on you for calling out and spotting it. And yeah, uh, all praise to those who have picked up where Olivier left off. Doing good work. Uh, our pal Indy Nathan says, according to the Speed Freaks, Texas is planning a reconfiguration. Have you heard any details about this and how it might impact the IndyCar race there? I haven't. I did see that note, and uh, my friends there, uh, good friends there, um, I don't doubt anything they say. I just would be remiss if I didn't add that I was on the phone about a week ago. So maybe what they have learned and, and heard is after I had a phone call uh, with my friend uh, Dave Hart, who's the head of communications at Texas, had that conversation with Davey, I don't know, was it a week ago, 10 days ago, said, hey, keep hearing there might be some sort of repaving or something going on there, to which he said, that would be 100% news to me. And Davey and I are tight enough to where he's not going to, BS me. Uh, he'd say yes if it was a yes, no if it was a no, or I can't talk about it if he couldn't talk about it. And he said, no, truly heard nothing about it. Uh, so 
if that has somehow changed in the week to 10 days since we spoke, Nathan. Uh, and um, Kenny or Gladys got uh, some good intel here, then that would supersede what I know, but I can only go with what I know. And as of not too long ago, uh, as of this month, there was no plans for anything like that. Uh, if it were reconfigured, again, uh, IndyCar has told me three different folks there, uh, all folks who are <laughs> senior most leadership positions, we'll just put it that way, that they are talking to Texas. They're talking to, I'm sorry, uh, Speedway Motorsports, Inc., which owns Texas. Uh, they intimated that they are making progress, and it sounds like that would continue. Uh, the early-ish point on the schedule like we had this year, March 20th, I'm not saying that's the exact date, but I do know that uh, the conversation to go back to Texas somewhat early in the season is what I've heard would be uh, the idea. If there were to be a reconfiguration of Texas, I don't know what that would be, but if they were to reconfigure it somehow, uh, would that be something that goes past uh, early part of the year that would then knock IndyCar out from that time frame? Again, lots of things that I don't know, but uh, time permitting, maybe I'll reach back out to Davey and see if and what he can tell me. Uh, Louise Smith! Louise, I get to see you in a couple of weeks, and I really do love following you uh, on Facebook to see how your fight against cancer is going. And yeah, you, my friend, are just the the rockiest of rock stars and such an inspiration. So can't wait to see you uh, in Portland and uh, give you a hug. And I know last year, uh, our friend of the show, Mike Holb, gave you a tour of the Ganassi transporter. Um, you'll have to tell me if there are any other transporters you want to go walk through or people you want to meet because uh, you are our official queen of the uh, Portland Grand Prix. So I'll have to tell them that, but that's the way I feel about it. So we'll just make it so. Uh, you say, there's some chatter always about lengthening the current schedule. Seems a lot of drivers think uh, going to Indy twice for the road course is overkill. What would be your ideal 20 race season? Ooh, I love it. Um, would I would I be too much of a homer to say 20 races at Iowa? Uh, no, we won't do 20 there. Let's see. Uh, yeah, I'm with you on the, yeah, there's no real reason to go to Indianapolis road course twice. And I think the somewhat non-spectacular race we just had uh, a couple of weeks ago might confirm that, yeah, it's, it's not always fantastic. Um, I know it's a little crazy. Someone else suggested this uh, months and months ago on the podcast, and I'll, I'll throw this back. The Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach in April, middle-ish of April, is great. It's a staple. That's the one everyone expects to go to. I don't know if it's even possible, but I do love the idea of going there twice and closing the year there. Uh, I thought closing the, the season last year in Long Beach was just phenomenal. Um, could we add a Richmond or a Kentucky Oval 
Could we do something like that to get us up to, if we're taking uh, the Indy Road Course off the calendar, that would bring us down to 16 as it is right now. Uh, could we add, I mean, I know the Milwaukee Mile, I was told by the series, is a place that they want to go back to. Uh, they told me that going to Monterey, and they, I'm sorry, to Mexico uh, is certainly a goal. Could they try and add one next year and then another new one the year after? You know, that would take us up to uh, 18 if we're deleting the Indy Road course. Uh, but where would we go for the other two? I don't know if there's any crazy road courses that IndyCar could visit that we aren't attending at the moment. There are lots of places we've gone to before. Right? Hey, let's go to Sonoma. I love Sonoma. It's truly my home track. There's no crowd that shows up. No reason to go there. Love the place, but there's no reason. Uh, we look small and unimportant. Look at some of the other places. What about Road Atlanta? Spoken about that on the show, on the show Louise. I love that place. There's no way we could fire indie cars around there. That's just, you know calamity waiting to happen way too fast uh for the cars vir another place where it'd be amazing but oh my gosh would look like a nuclear bomb if a car crashed with the uh the rate of speed uh, and any car would be traveling there same with lime rock just too small too kind of antiquated uh for the kind of speeds we're going and in, in, in the safety needed to uh, keep the cars in the park so there are others of course but I'm not just talking about, hey, we've been there before, let's go back, or hey, this is cool. Like, where could we go where there would be a real crowd? Um, that's why, hey, if doing Long Beach twice isn't an option, and it isn't, uh, what about closing the year at Road America? I know we have our traditional June event. It looks like it sells out pretty darn good every year. What if we made this something special, right? Close the season at road america and i don't know make it a a a slightly later start i don't know uh what kind of lighting can we put up around the place uh, and make it almost not necessarily a full night race but at least one that uh, does get into dark a little bit just is it a saturday night celebration i don't know what what kind of fun can we do there after that the fact that we go to canada once doesn't necessarily make me super quadruple happy. Um, could we go to a circuit Gilles Villeneuve? Could we go to you know, run down the list of the limited number of places? Let's go back to Edmonton. I did like Edmonton. It seemed like the crowd was pretty good. Uh, I don't know if it was great, but good. Um, I know this is maybe not so much of a, a hard answer, Louise, but Let's go to some places that are new or new-ish. Let's do some things that hopefully will attract some new fans. Got to admit that it's more likely a, a street course and a new location that's going to get more new fans to come out than trying to get folks going to a oval somewhere where they're accustomed to going there for NASCAR and have a great NASCAR history to then hope magically we're going to get twenty to 30,000 people who want to rock up for IndyCar. Um, some of the road courses that I mentioned that aren't on the schedule right now, love them. Again, love them, but 
I'm more interested in the reception and how many people turn up, buy tickets, and either come back or experience it for the first time than I am so much uh, about what specific place that we go. So, no, that's not a hard answer on that, Louise, but I'm more the mindset of what is going to help IndyCar to prosper than being married to any one place. Uh, Kevin Frederico, how you doing, Kev? MP, my question is probably more leaning towards sports cars, but hey, it still applies to IndyCar. Uh, regarding to Laguna Seca, an attendance lacking for both IndyCar and IMSA, but IMSA even more, how much longer before both series, mainly IMSA, wake up to the fact that they're better off being double headers with IndyCar uh, on the bill than trying to strike it out on their own? You say also if the NASCAR Chicago street course experiment doesn't succeed, do you think IndyCar can swoop in afterwards? Uh, no on the latter part. Of course they could try, but NASCAR is the biggest and most popular form of motor racing in the country. It's one of the main reasons why the mayor of Chicago and everyone in and around that's involved said, yes, let's do this. If the biggest series fails, do I think Chicago would then want to try and do something with the second biggest or, you know, again, I don't know where the NHRA falls in attendance or whatever, but like if you can't hit a home run with the biggest slugger, I don't know if they're going to look to uh, the person batting fifth or sixth uh, in the order to do so. As for a twin bill, I absolutely agree. (laughs) I absolutely agree. Uh, what I don't fully grasp is how this continues with both series getting their, you know, uh, seven figure, uh, appearance fee, but not generating any meaningful fan ticket purchasing. It's almost all in the corporate hospitality in vendor midway rentals and all that kind of stuff. So I assume that the track makes money off of those that's somewhat decent, but I do just really struggle to see how they actually make a profit. They have written in things that they have presented to Monterey County saying that this weekend's event that I'm about to head to, uh, the big vintage event each year, the income from that is what helps to offset the losses from IndyCar and IMSA. So if I get a chance, I'll speak with, uh, track uh, president, track manager, John Narigi, and uh, see what he has to say about this. Let's see, Sean Lee, here's a silly season doozy for you. If Danny Ricardo does the Willie P double middle, middle fingers, goes back to Australia, uh, Alpine gets an injunction against Oscar Piastri. Uh, we'll just go with Piastri. Uh, could Rossi, uh, McLaren driver with a super license, find his way back into F1? Um, no, <laughs> no. Um, although I have heard that he Rossi has indeed been offered some sort of potential thing of testing. Um, I don't even know what number of person that would be, uh, to test. So. Uh, that's been signed to test for McLaren and F1, if that's true. Um, yeah, I, 
the 30-ish year old guy coming back to Formula One story, that's just not one we really hear about. And no disrespect to Alexander, but it's been a little while, and he never had much of a chance to truly develop himself uh, into an elite Formula One driver because he was driving for teams that were incapable of offering him the cars and resources to become elite at that level. So could he become? I think he could. That just would not be a let's dump you into F1 next season type thing. Uh, I think all would agree that, yeah, this might be a multi-year development thing. Again, it would be weird just because he's older doing that, but he does have experience, no question. But, man... um, I think even he would want to have a little bit more time to tune up and prepare himself for such a thing. Uh, Lawrence Cunningham. Uh, hearing Pato's comments about F1, about an F1 ride being an illusion, um, and he would like a free practice one outing next year instead of another test kind of surprised me. He said, are all these drivers signed with Air McLaren SP? Are they realizing that F1 isn't happening in their future? Yeah, I gotta believe some are. Uh, feel like I might have mentioned this last week, but one team principal uh, said, you know, on the topic of Polo and McLaren F1, like, hey, um, the the Piastri stuff coming out must have blown Polo's mind. I don't know if he ever realized that. Uh, yeah, th- there might have been a plan already in place with someone else. Uh, if it's not Ricardo, it's it certainly isn't going to be you. It's going to be somebody else. So <sighs> this just feels like a really bad example of speed dating, where you give a lot of the people you're speed dating with sitting across that table that they're the one and the true and the only, and <sighs> you hope the person sitting across. Uh, the table isn't silly enough to take what's being fed to them as real. Uh, but uh, sometimes with hope and high ambition and dreams, you'll kind of let yourself believe anything, uh, just wanting it to be real. Uh, Ed Joris, you're talking about changing qualifying procedures. Um, um, this thing, I just, yeah, uh, I'm going to p- take a pass on that one. No uh no uh no harm no foul just yeah that one's making my brain go like sideways uh let's see jeremy davis i'm actually just going to go backwards here to end the show i'm starting at the bottom and this doesn't mean it was the worst jeremy this just is what jerry thought would be a great way to close the show i'm going to change it up and uh we're we're going to go to dessert first basically uh jeremy a huge fan uh well i shouldn't say huge fan the official Number one fan of Scott Dixon. And I know, of course, uh, whenever I say that, I get some pushback from others who just don't like the the notion of them not being the number one. Uh, you say, the chance is greater that Ryan hunter Ray is in the 10 car next year for Ganassi? Um, or is it more likely the 10 doesn't run next year? Uh, you say, wasn't sure how hunter Ray's Cadillac program with Ganassi would interfere with IndyCar next year? Yeah, I'm not sure really what is meant uh, to happen with Hunter Ray in terms of Ganassi and the Cadillac GTP effort 
terms of a race seat, uh, would it be endurance events only? If so, you get a cup, half of those out of the way before the end of March. So that wouldn't be too big of a deal. Um, but I don't know about that. I, I don't know the, the deep, the specifics of that. <sighs> was having this conversation today about the 10 car for next year. Uh, would it possibly go away? There are definitely some questions that I have. Doesn't mean the team's having them. Just questions I'm having, to be clear, about what the Ganassi team might look like next year. I know Chip told me, wrote it verbatim, next year, all four drivers, status quo. Should also mention a little caveat that uh, when he gave that to me, that was before the whole Alex Pillow thing blew up. So, again, uh, maybe not. He expected it to be status quo when we spoke. We know the Pillow thing is in a weird place. It's in mediation. Uh, there's been no updates to offer in terms of who said what, doing what, getting what. Heard a couple of rumblings about a couple of things. Uh, they're not really worth... I shouldn't say worth. They're not at the level of mentioning here because it feels like it would be irresponsible. But if we look at the other three entries that he's referring to, we know Scott Dixon is going nowhere under contract for 23. Marcus Erickson also under contract in 23. Jimmy Johnson, based on what Chip said, status quo, we would assume there's a goal for Jimmy to return, do the full season. I have heard, and I am not saying this is factual. I'm just saying I've heard. Is Jimmy thinking, hey, maybe I do the ovals next year, and maybe we could find someone else to do the road and street courses? I've heard that rumor. I'm not saying that rumor is accurate, just sharing with you what I've heard. It is something for me to discuss with Jimmy when I speak to him next, if there is anything there. That, Jeremy, I would say feeds or maybe informs the 10 car question a little bit. So let me just finish off on the 48, on Jimmy's 48 car. If Jimmy decides to come back next year and do the full season, great. Needs to bring full budget with him. It's not a small number. Obviously, we've heard about the questions of, of Carvana and their big quarterly losses, and would they be a sponsor continuing as they have been? Uh, if we look to American Legion, they've been pretty amazing this year on Jimmy's car, also on the 10 car as well. Um, some of the other associate sponsors involved, right? Who knows how that might get paid for next year, but... I would think Jimmy would have the ability to pull in funding to continue full-time if he wanted to, whether it's with the same sponsors or some changes there. If, though, Jimmy were to say, you know what, want to continue, but just really want to do the ovals, we don't know what that count's going to be next year. Is it five, four, six, who knows? Would Jimmy then be on the hook to provide a full season's worth of sponsorship to do that? Or would he say, hey, uh, I've brought sponsors for me to do those races. And if you want the 48 to run with other people in it on road and street courses, awesome. Uh, whomever it would be, Hunter Ray or someone else, whatever. But y'all, 
or that driver are going to need to fill in the whatever number it is, 11, 12, 13 races, however many that I'm not doing because it would be a little bit silly. I shouldn't say silly. It would be strange to see a driver who's only wanting to do the ovals to end up paying for everything. Uh, so that, that'd be a question there to answer. Is funding okay for the 48 if it were to go full season? And if Jimmy decided he wanted to do a part-time program, how would the rest of the season get paid for? Comes back to the 10 car here. I think by the end of the year, Jeremy, we will have seen NTT data on the car for, what, nine races, 10 races is what I've heard. Meaning the other seven to eight are ones where other sponsors have been needed uh, to complete the funding for the car. If we just look at that bare fact, it would suggest that NTT is at or near uh, half budget, right? Covering half the season. Others needed to be found to cover that off. If nothing were to change there and NTT were still to put in the same amount and the team was able to find other sponsors, right? What Ridgeline Oil has been one of them, mentioned the American Legion. Um, there have been some others that have been found. Who knows if we're going to see some other brands appear here to close out the year. But that, to me, is the, the, the bigger question as for whether the car would continue. Is everything and everything budgeted up across all four cars for next year? And if not, what becomes easier? That 10 car, I mean, that's a fairly iconic Ganassi car. Uh, Ganassi entry, I should say. Goes back a ways, right? Obviously, Dario, uh, if we're talking about before Alex <coughs> done won him a heck of a bunch of races in championships, and you know that, that's just a car, if you look back, uh, it's a pretty meaningful one. Uh, if there were any question about funding across uh, the 10 car, the 48 car, I would think the 48 would go away before the 10. Uh, could I see, and this is all like getting way out in the weeds of woulda, coulda, shoulda. Uh, could I see if there's any budgetary issues, some sort of Jimmy on the ovals and uh, whomever else uh, for the rest? I mean, possibly, but... Uh, I've also heard that the team is planning to run the 10 car with no changes to the car being on track for every race next year. So lots of possibilities, brother. Um, I will be very interested, more so than the driver front, just to find out how all of the finances are taken care of and cleared so it's no longer a topic of conversation. Uh, at champ car forever says i've heard you refer to the current indycar period as modern times you asked when did that start i was wondering what would be your other time periods i.e the split and cart and so on it's very much a variable thing <laughs> uh and i do love you spotting this and calling it out uh, often my line of thinking for modern period, the modern times would be whatever the real start of the current uh, sanctioning body slash championship happens to be. 
So if we're talking what we got now, really that came together in 2008. So I'd probably draw that line as modern IndyCar times. But again, if we're talking chassis, uh, you know, that's late 90s for sure. Definitely the beginning, you know, into the 2000s um, with similarities to what we have with today's chassis. Uh, engines, you know, that's kind of a, a thing of its own here starting in 2012 with this modern turbocharged V6. Before that, we had the naturally aspirated V8s from Honda. And then before that, uh, the, the spec Cosworths in Champ Car. And before that, uh, really not a whole lot uh, in the early days. End of the cart era, beginning of Champ Car. Uh, 90s, though, boy, there was all kinds of stuff. So it's a little bit circumstantial. But yeah, in my mind, when I say in modern times of IndyCar, it's kind of a late 2000s, you know, almost call it a kind of decade thing, maybe 2010 onwards, 2009, 2008. Um, and then it might even extend back to the turn of the century. Uh, let's see, where do we go? SRT Nick 12. How you doing there, Nick? Been uh, been a little while, I believe. Um, says question about the silly season, more specifically the rookie class. Ask: Is there a chance Linus Lundqvist can be left without a full time ride due to all the current craziness? And you say also, how many rookies do you think will make their debut next year, if at all? Well, part of the advancement prize, uh, assuming Linus wins the championship, and I'd be kind of hard to figure out how he wouldn't, um, there is that three-race deal, including the Indy 500. So IndyCar will make sure that somebody um, runs Linus. So that's at least one. I don't know what the number. I honestly hope this doesn't sound like a cop-out, Nick. It isn't meant to be. I'm honestly just really looking forward to getting through this four to five day block of Monterey vintage racing insanity. And I run around crazier during these four or five days than almost any other time during the year. Really looking forward to getting through this so I can get home and start to dive in a little bit deeper to some of this stuff. Obviously at uh, WWTR this weekend, we're going to get uh, further movement on both the Indy Pro 2000 and Indy Lights championships. Um, I do need to reach out to some of the drivers uh, in Indy Lights in particular to get a feel for their goals and desires to move up. Uh, I know any, I shouldn't say any, but almost all of them would love to go to IndyCar next year if possible. But we do circle back to the primary item you've mentioned here, the primary thing. Um how many seats are really truly going to be open uh, is Foyt, for example, if we just start at the top of uh, the list, are they capable of running three potentially, but they'd have to go hire people uh, to run that third. Cause they let a decent amount go. Um, when Tatiana's 11 car <clears throat> came off the grid. Uh, plus what about this possible Porsche thing Hildebrand is hoping to route through them. How many people might be needed for that? Another thing I need to check up uh, and check into. Um, Rob Edwards from Andretti Autosport has said, we're staying at four, period. Uh, and a statement, we know 
Here on McLaren SP is moving to three cars, but uh, no real room at the end if we're talking rookies or Linus or otherwise. Could Linus be someone that Ganassi might give a shot to? It's run through my mind as that being awesome, but I haven't heard anything to suggest um, that's in the works right now. Uh, Coin definitely would like to expand to three. Isn't sure if they're going to uh, be able to do so, though. Um, waiting to hear a little bit. I know the team has an option on Sato. Um, need to check in there to see if that's been taken up. Uh, or if, you know, granted, if Takuma has any desire to uh, step back or step away, which I don't know if he does, um, you know, could there be an opening there? You know, that's one I have an eye on as a possibility. Uh, nothing that I know of on the Carpenter side in terms of availability. Uh, Hunko's Hollinger Racing for sure could, but Ricardo's told me that the second car that they want to run is not something they will fund. So if someone brings along a budget for it, that might be the first and primary place uh, to run an extra car next year, full season for a rookie like Linus. I know he's met with them, uh, but... To my knowledge, Linus is not sitting on five or six million to bring, uh, at least right now. From there, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, they're not going to four next year. Penske is at three, and they're not going to four. So this all just comes back to your point, which is a great one. And it's just been one that's been the back of my mind of like, hey, what if, whether, you know, for whatever reasons, let's say, uh, our boy Hunter McElray wins the championship. Or let's just say he's got a sponsor that says, hey, I've got $6 million, let's go play. You can knock on a lot of doors. I just don't know how many are truly ready and waiting uh, to do something, uh, to accept them, to offer them a seat. It's a weird place. you got a really good rookie crop right now. Uh, could, again, uh, Felipe Drogovic, who I've mentioned many times, as someone Ganassi should look at, mentioned mentioned his name to the team right after the Plo thing popped off, and either I was being lied to, uh, or at least the expression I saw on their face was genuine of like, we don't exactly know who that is. Um, could Drogovic be over here? For sure. I know, again, I've been mentioning him for a while now. Um, he reportedly has a budget, definitely has a budget to bring. So... Not a lot of opportunities, Nick. Maybe one or two if we're looking at a real top-ish type team. Maybe one or two at one of the smaller midfield type teams. Um, all uh, all things I'm keeping an eye on. Um, Jordan Darwin mentioning uh, should IndyCar and Firestone run some exhibition laps. Um and the BC39 track at IMS, you say IMS or IndyCar has lost their link to short track racing and their rabid fans. Um, I don't know. I don't think IndyCar's going around a uh, short dirt track is going to magically make all kinds of folks um, all of a sudden love IndyCar and want to watch it. I got to believe that. IndyCar has been around for a long time and a lot of folks know about it and a lot of folks watch it. So I'm not saying there's no merit to trying to grow that fan base. Um, just saying, I don't know if that's really the method that would change anything, Jordan. 
Uh, Gary Chin, say perhaps I missed a podcast, but have you had any sort of conversation with Brad Hollinger since he purchased a share of the team from Hunkos? Uh, had conversation? Yeah. Um, had him on the podcast? No. And that's a, it's a good, a good question, Gary. Uh, maybe that's something I can cook up at, I don't know, Portland or something like that. Um, at least as I have seen Brad, he's not come across as someone who really wants to do a lot of on camera stuff. And by that, I mean, you know, on camera podcast, you name it, but, um, that's a, that'd be a good one. Uh, thanks for mentioning that. I'm going to try and going to try and remember that with my thinking brain. Uh, what do we have? We have two to go. And I love that. We're going to get done with a short episode today. Uh, Casey Kirkstra. MP, been wondering what the long-term plans for HMD Motorsports are. You say, with David Malukas' strong season, rumors of Linus Lindqvist uh, possibly being in a third car next year. Says, I know HMD Motorsports has an established and successful Indy Lights program. Is there a long-term plan to move to IndyCar or partner with Coin as co-entrance? A little bit fuzzy on that, Casey, in terms of what they are wanting to say. Do I believe Henry Malukas, um, the Malukas family, uh, have a pretty clear plan of what they want to do? I'd have to believe so uh, in reference to IndyCar. If I were them, would I recommend spending a whole poop ton of money right now to buy all kinds of cars and stuff knowing that we're coming up on a engine change here in a year and a half? We think maybe a new chassis in two years or three years, something like that. I would absolutely be uh, recommending to them, as I'm sure the very smart, sharp, and experienced Mike Morini is doing, who is uh, kind of their main person, general manager on the HMD side. Uh, I would be recommending to uh, the Malukas family to hey, make investments in the universal equipment that we need. Uh, wouldn't be a bad thing to buy a chassis or two or who knows, maybe even three. We're going to be using them at least for the first year of this new engine formula, and I bet it's going to extend probably into 2025 at least. So those things would all be smart, but let's kind of ramp up more for once we get to this new full era, new car, new engine, new everything, that might be the point in time to make a break. Uh, hey, what about buying Dale Coin Racing? Again, it's possible, but uh, that their facility there is is about as full as you're going to get, uh, especially if they try to go to three cars. So building a new shop, uh, I mean, granted, they already have, uh, HMD already has its Indy Light shop, but just building a, a large, grand, new uh, Aero McLaren SP or Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan-style shop in uh, Indiana or who knows, um, Illinois, I think that would be the first main thing to do. Uh, purchase some real estate if they don't already own it and set down some real long-term routes with a facility that is capable of not only running all the Indy Lights cars, but uh, fielding an IndyCar program of their own. And yeah, I know that they have IndyCar ownership, running ship, everything ship aspirations, just forking out 10, 20 million to do all that right now. Uh, I think the, the play they're looking at just stretched over a little bit. Uh, final question. We're going back to our pal, Maddie McDonald. 
said, I love that Firestone is working on sustainable tires. Uh, what's stopping them from using the Wyuli for the tread? Did they choose to use it for the alternates instead of the primaries due to some performance limitation? Are there downsides to it from a mechanical property standpoint? They have to work around. Questions I would love to get answered. Um, I would need to reach out to our friend Kara Adams, now Kara Kristolik, uh, to know how to respond to some of these things. I was surprised, and I think there's a question in here somewhere, about uh, were you surprised to learn that the uh, Wyuli was just in the sidewalls, not the tread? Yes. Uh, I feel like I totally missed that uh, the first time around when they were used in May during the, uh, the pit stop competition. Um, I don't know. Uh, but I, I do know they did mention that these are things they'll want to try and develop, uh, and, and whatnot, but it just sounds like the actual running and testing, uh, to try these things needs to happen first, Maddie. So wouldn't, uh, bet against them for that being something that could happen here. Just, I think they just need a little bit of time. You know, actually, you got one more question uh, that came in, um, came in uh, late, but I want to want to use this because I do get this question every now and then. This comes from Chris Olney. He says, I have a racing 101 question that I'd appreciate hearing your thoughts on. Can you discuss how pit stops and the timing of yellow flags impacts the racing order? He says, uh, I don't know, often a, a crash happens and then there's a yellow flag and I'll hear Townsend Bell say, you know who this really helps? And then he says a random driver halfway down the order. Uh, can you discuss the different circumstances that would lead to a driver benefiting from or being victim of a yellow flag and why it's, uh, why it's the case on both sides and why this is different from F1, uh, where I believe this doesn't really happen? Um, yeah, I think I just got a question about this recently in the racer mailbag that goes up every Wednesday as well. So... It, it's the random timing of yellow flags, right? It's not as if they happen expectedly. So normally when you hear the, oh, you know who this really helps, it's road and street course. I guess it could also be oval as well if it's a bigger oval, not a shorter oval. But let's go with the road and street course. So you're maybe somewhere in your pit stop window and you're running 14th, and you decide, I'm running 14th. Nothing spectacular is happening. Not going to win the race. Uh, I don't know if we're going to a big alternate strategy or not, but there's no reason to keep running and running and running to the very edge of our fuel window and stretch this fuel tank to nothing. Let's just come and pit, get some fresh tires, make a wing change or a tire pressure change, hope that it improves the car, and we'll go back out and try and do something better in this next stint. And you pop in, get that service done, uh, amble out of pit lane, and boom, there's a caution. Well, uh, you will have fallen back considerably because you've just given up 35, 45, 55 seconds, whatever it is, again, to uh, wander down pit lane at wherever on a road or street course, get your service and head back out. But you now are in a situation where you, by chance, just like the chance timing of that yellow, you by chance happened to pit before that yellow came out. 
And whether it was a few seconds before or a lap before, whatever it is, all of a sudden you're a person who does not need to stop and get fuel or tires. And again, if we're talking kind of towards the end ish of a fuel stint, everybody else for the most part will need to pop in, uh, once the, the yellow procedure runs and then the pits are opened. Uh, you'll have the entire field again, basically nose to tail. And then all of those cars in front of you need to pit. And in theory, since you don't have to, uh, you should be right behind the pace car and improve a whole bunch of positions, if not take over the lead of the race. So you got the, uh, the kind of golden ticket to get full service just before that caution came out. Again, usually it happens with someone who's not having a great day um, or even somebody who's on a bit of an alternate strategy because they're really not having a good day. They usually have a terrible qualifying and have to kind of just go off strategy to begin with and pray for something like this to happen. That's the exact thing that you are hoping to have happen when you're going to a, a off strategy uh, afternoon. So that tends to be that scenario that can also help you on a bigger oval where you aren't automatically going to go a lap down or two laps down. It's the, uh, it's the shorter tracks where you go, Oh, you just pitted at Iowa and lost a thousand laps. I'm exaggerating, but the laps go by very quickly there. So on the bigger ovals, you tend not to get uh, disadvantaged too much if you're pitting early or if you happen to be the first one to go uh, before everybody else, then boom, there's a caution. You can uh, indeed luck out on that a bit. Um, those are the kind of sort of general scenarios. Um, if you are the person who just pitted on, again, depending on the oval, if you're per- the person who just pitted uh, and went a lap down, uh, and then there's a caution right after that, and everybody is able to pit and get their services done. And again, it all kind of depends on how it works out, but there are scenarios where, oh, you just get murdered. <laughs> you just absolutely get murdered. Uh, and maybe if you weren't a lap down, you go down a lap or go down another one. So yeah, uh, it's very situational, but Uh, That, for the most part, uh, when you hear Townie talk about, you know who this really helps, someone who wasn't having a great day and all of a sudden they feel like uh, they are absolutely blessed. All right, y'all, thanks for sending in your questions. I have no idea what we're going to be talking about next week after Gateway. Um, I can't imagine it's going to be boring or normal. Uh, Lawsuits, are we going to have any coming out of mediation who knows be keeping ears and everything else open on that and if i if i'm fortunate i will get to listen to the race as it happens live on saturday as i start to drive home uh but i cannot wait to get home and then watch the whole thing as well usa network at what i think is it uh 6 30 ish eastern when it's meant to uh to be on don't hold me to that but check for sure but it is on usa it's not on nbc uh you can also catch everything on peacock i believe so there you go all right thanks to y'all for sending everything in thanks to jerry for putting it all together thanks to cooper tires the justice brothers and torontomotorsports.com we'll speak to you 
next week.